Hey, Mackenzie. So fun to be with you today. Hey, Lindsay. I'm so excited about this special episode of the Living Center podcast. I know. Yesterday was World Mental Health Day. And so today we are doing a special episode where we talk to uh, some of our colleagues and friends at OnSite, some coworkers, that, and hearing about their personal mental health journeys. And it's been so fun to talk to everybody, at least it really has. I thought so. I feel like I've gotten to deepen my relationship with all of them and just understand more about what drew them into this work. And mm-hmm. even just, I've gotten some great idea for really practical things I can do to improve my mental health. So, yeah, I love the opportunity to get to know just like our coworkers on a different level. And I think the diversity of answers really did illuminate to me what we say on site is that everyone's mental health journey is different and that it is a lifelong process. Like those are two of the things that really came out of these interviews for me. And it was an encouragement and kind of a bolstering to get back to the things that I know impact my mental health. Um, And sometimes I, you know, get on the wayside. And I think anytime someone shares their own journey, it's a really beautiful way to get uh, a mirror back to you. And so I heard a lot of things and what they were sharing of like, oh, that really resonates with me. And it made me not feel alone in some of the things they were sharing. Yeah. So I think it's going to be a really awesome episode. And I'm encouraged for everyone to listen to it. Yes. We also got to do something really special at the end. Uh, you ask Orion, who is on our team, who often leads meditations for some of our programs and even for our staff to lead us in a meditation. So I'm super excited for the way that we're wrapping up this interview. Orion provides about a three to five minute meditation for you. So make sure you create space on the back end of this episode to really find some calm and rest and check in with yourself. Yes, we hope this episode is a great resource for each of you. Today you'll hear from... My name is Emily. I'm part of the clinical team. I would say I work primarily between our admissions department and our programming department to help clients get in the right program at the right time. My name is Hannah Lee, and my role is human resource generalist. My name is Marshall Milliken. I'm vice president of admissions and business development for OnSite. So my name is Jen Martin, um, and I work on our program team as the client liaison manager. So essentially what that means is I get the privilege of being responsible for the client journey and communication from the minute they give us a phone call to the minute they show up to campus. My name's Paige. I'm the uh, animal and farm specialist here, so I take care of all of our animals' well-being, just make sure that they're happy. I upkeep, or keep up, I should say, all of the uh, maintenance surrounding the animals, fencing, weed eating, all of the really exciting stuff. My name is Orion. I am the creative content specialist, so I work on videos, photos, anything that's kind of visual. Hi, this is Amelia Baldwin, and I'm the director of business development. The first question that we talked to everybody about was just about a daily practice that they do to stay centered and stay grounded. And so um, some great practical tips all around. For me right now in this season of life, because I have interacted in my feeling world with more anger and anxiety than usual, we're living in a pandemic, we're faced with not only our physical vulnerabilities, but you know, I think societally we're vulnerable. I think we've got young ones and older ones who are vulnerable. We're just faced with so many uh, challenges and, and sometimes obstacles. And um, yeah, my, 
I would just say for me, anger and anxiety have been, um, (laughs) have pulled into the forefront of my emotional experience. So for me, I think one of the things that's helping me process that, those feelings, is by practicing believing the best, right? Giving, Giving myself the benefit of the doubt and giving other people the benefit of the doubt. Believing that in every moment and moments of greatest division and difference and challenge, we're all trying to do our best. We're all humans. We're all trying to do our best. So I think that's been a, it's weird. You know, it's not maybe as magical as meditation or breath. I mean, those, there's so many great tools, but I mean, just plain and simple, the practice of believing the best about someone, including myself, um, has been really helpful. It's, it keeps me, it keeps us from otherizing, right? Or villainizing. Um, and that's helped me in a, a good bit. So I would say that's one thing that's, that I'm employing right now. That's good. I like that you included yourself in that equation, assuming the best about others and myself. Uh, I think that that's sometimes something that we miss in the full equation and we don't get the end result that we actually want because I do think grace starts with our own selves. And I love the idea of what is the most generous assumption I can have in this situation. I think we often say it on site, you know, assume everybody's doing the best they can with what they have. Yeah. And I think just pra- and that letting that be the first, like practicing that as my first thought, right? Instead of rehearsing like, you know, rightness or b- even believe my thoughts about it, like going, okay, you know what? I have a feeling they're probably doing the best they can. I'm doing the best I can. Does implementing that pause so that it becomes your first thought then help it become second nature? Have you seen that? Well, yeah. I mean, I think it's just becomes more of a practice, right? So if you practice something... The thought is, you know, I mean, we think we we know about our brains is that that's how we build habits, right? Patterns. And so, yeah, absolutely. I feel like I'm always trying to add, add things or try different things. But the main one lately has been moving my body and exercising. During the pandemic, I had a lot of stored energy that in my normal life, I would move more and exercise more and play team sports more. And so when things kind of shut down and slowed down, I noticed a big positive change when I started to exercise more and focus on doing that routinely. Just because I can ignore what's happening in my body and I think that moving was a, has been a way for me to interact with what I'm, what's being stored as we know, working at onsite, the body is storing everything that's happening, that I'm seeing, that I'm thinking, experiencing. And so I don't think it's like the most holistic way because it's not always processing it, but it's at least interacting with what's going on. So the one that comes to mind probably the most is accountability. I think that that's something, that's a skill that's probably under talked about, at least in my community around mental health. For me, very early on in my trauma recovery, it became really evident to me that I needed to find safe people in my community to be able to share what I was learning about myself, what I wanted to do with what I was learning, and kind of what I need in order to stay in that 
path. And so having accountability to who my core self is, my core values is really important. And so I try to do that through regular kind of multi-level reflections with folks. So if I find it really important to ask my safe people how they experience me in different seasons, because especially with my experience of mental health and the things that are a part of my mental health on a formal way, on an informal way, sometimes I can miss my own core self. And so having that accountability to make observations of me is really important. It's my job and my responsibility to do something with that if I've invited it in. Uh, But having other people who can see me in that way, I found to be really important. That's really incredible. And practically, like, how do you go about finding those safe people, um, even structuring that type of check-in or conversation? Mm -hmm. I do think it takes time to find those safe people. So, and it takes vulnerability and it takes a lot of risk. Uh, I think a lot of people have a lot of conversations with people about how do you know somebody's safe? And sometimes you don't until you try. Uh, And so I found that it's important. There are pieces of my story that have to be held well. They're kind of a deal breaker relationally. I don't present it that way, but I definitely hold that close. And when they've earned my trust and they've earned that level of sharing, I usually just kind of put some things out there to see how they would handle it. I think I also watch other people's core values around their mental health as well. I think it's important to me that if you're going to be one of my safe people, you also need to be pursuing this journey for yourself as well. And I think sometimes it can be as easy as the language people use. What kind of language are they using to talk about their mental health or their own personal experiences? Um, What have they done in the past or currently that they're doing to take care of that and to be mindful of that? Uh, Are they committed to the long journey of mental health or are they a seasonal commitment um, to their mental health, which can be both can be completely appropriate. I'm a lifer because my trauma goes back so far. But what does it look like for them to be committed to themselves and their own mental health journey in different seasons? I think that's something that's really small that you can do to find somebody that's safe. And you'll feel it too. I think you feel connection. Uh, When you feel seen, that's a very unique feeling when you feel seen and fully connected with. Once I've kind of, and I've had my safe people have changed over the years based on what I'm learning about myself or practices that are important to me. So I have different people that bring out different parts of me that are important to keep me as my core self, my integrated core self. And so for them, it's a regular practice of I'm starting to feel some of my practices go to the wayside. So something small for me would be how much money am I spending at Chewy's? Or how much time (laughs) am I spending in my own kitchen? Or how much TV have I watched recently? Like these are things that I've learned about myself in a small way that when those things start to kind of grow outside their boundaries, I know it's time to check in with my safe people to say, you know, how are you experiencing me in this? Or recently when I had a conflict, what was that like for you on that end? And just receive. And then it's my responsibility to take it or leave it and then to to make a move on it if, if I find that it's necessary. So just listening to you process, this is so helpful, just because I think practically it feels hard to figure out how to have these conversations with people. Mm-hmm. You're kind of saying you kind of are attuned to what some of your warning signs are. And yes. then you sort of 
basically ask people to give you feedback mm-hmm. on what they're seeing too versus just I think a lot of times when we ask for someone to help hold us accountable then we sort of feel like we've given them a green light to always speak into it but then that puts the onus on them and so Mm -hmm. I like the way that you framed it because it really is still kind of putting the onus on you but making sure that you're getting um, outside feedback to help you just get more of a 360 degree view of yourself that you know you couldn't get without external perspective. I really love all of these. I think they all brought very different practices and it really encouraged me. And Jen's in particular to me feels uh, like we wouldn't think of it as a practice that actually impacts our mental health, but the way she expanded on it was a really beautiful illustration of our need for community and then the need for safe voices in our life. Hey friends, as you know, we recorded this episode in honor of World Mental Health Day. And this year, the theme is all about destigmatizing the conversation and creating equal access for everyone when it comes to mental health. At Onsite, we're on a mission to equip the world with emotional wellness, and we want to make the work approachable, accessible, and affordable. And that's exactly what our new emotional health masterclasses do. For just $89, about half the cost of a traditional therapy session, these digital classes include an hour of clinical expertise, as well as an interactive workbook to help you ground, unpack, and really apply these concepts to your everyday life. Right now, we offer classes on grief, trauma, shame, narcissism, and understanding your emotions. As a podcast insider, I want to make sure that we get these resources in your hands. That's why we're offering you $40 off any of our digital classes when you use the code PODCAST at the checkout. You can head to onsiteworkshops.com slash classes to check out all of our offerings. Now, back to the episode. We believe uh, that mental health is a lifelong journey. And I think what I love is Miles always says, it's not something you need, it's something you deserve, emotional wellness and mental health. And so we also decided that we were going to ask our coworkers what prompted them to get into their own mental health journey. Was there a catalyst? Was there a person? Was there an event? Because I think so often in our lives, um, we don't start pursuing our mental and emotional health until we kind of hit a reason and we have a fork in the road and we make the choice to start down this journey. So I really hope that their vulnerability and the way that they let out and sharing their own mental health journey is an encouragement to y'all today. Yeah, I thought one of the cool things listening to everybody's answers is some people have just freshly started their emotional health journey. Um, And then some people, you know, this has been a lifelong pursuit for them. And so just it sort of in listening to them talk about it, just remembering that wherever you are, it's okay to be right there. And a big part of it is just the awareness of where you are and how you've gotten there. Nobody made me say this. But it's on-site, and that sounds kind of strange, but before I started working here, I had zero experience with therapy, emotional health, any of those things. And my first experience with that was a Living Center program. So when we say baptism by fire for me, that's exactly what it was. So um, I would say the combination of doing that work 11 years ago and Mm -hmm the opportunity to stay in and around the practice of mental health has made all the difference in the world for me, for sure. 
And do you feel like being in this environment on site has helped you like maintain some of that? I know, again, we're not paying people to say this, but I- uh, so totally it, it has helped me stay in it almost to a fault. And here's what I mean by that. So after yeah. I did my program, I very quickly got into a leadership role in which I started doing the annual women's leadership group, which was another sort of retreat every year that I would do, which was a great way for me to do a deep dive. Well, in between all that, there was, I wasn't really doing much therapy. I'd done just a little bit here and there. And when I say that, I mean, I would have a conversation with some of our guides as they would come on campus and some of them knew me better than others (laughs) and they would seek me out and say, okay, where are you? What's happening? But when I say almost to a fault, when you work in an environment like this, you feel in so many different ways, or for me, especially when we were a lot smaller, that I was getting all I needed from a mental health standpoint. I had the world's best therapist around me. I was in an environment that allowed me to be so open, so transparent and vulnerable. I could show up the way I needed to show up. When I needed to stop and say, I'm falling apart, I'm a hot mess, I had somebody to process with. Most of the time it was a therapist or somebody who's been doing this for a long time. So I thought I didn't need therapy. Right? I thought I was getting everything right. I needed from on-site. Totally. Just working here. It's almost like osmosis, right? And then, Take it in. That's right. And then about three years ago, maybe four, I realized, oh, wait a minute. Working at on-site isn't the same thing as doing my own therapy. So okay. I then transitioned into seeing a therapist uh, on my own outside of on-site, and it made a difference for sure. Um, And I was able to still have the same support I have here at work, but it was probably healthier boundaries for me to get those (laughs) needs met somewhere else. Yeah, quite honestly, uh, there was. um, I was divorced previously, and um, that really jump-started it. I have learned to go back and just keep I guess, working through the process at different stages of my life. But my divorce really started it. And it took a moment for me to say, "Uh uh-oh, you know, while I was thinking that this was maybe the other person's fault, is there something that all of my baggage from the past (laughs) has, has caused and has been an effect and has ruined something? And um, so I took a leap of faith out and saw someone and and really just started to kind of work on me. And it didn't matter what else was happening or what had happened. It did tell me that, you know, yes, obviously that affects <laughs> all of your relationships. And, um, and so it was something that I just wanted to make sure that moving forward into the future that it wouldn't impact them as maybe drastically as it had then. Yeah, I love that. I mean, I think that they're all there are patterns that we all get stuck in that are impacting our lives. And it's so brave to like take the time to look at them and be like, I don't want to end up here again. You know, I want I want to do relationships differently. So I love that. Yeah, thank you. And you said you kind of took the leap of faith. And so was there some hesitation or some trepidation um, and even fear around that? What did that look like when you reached out to someone? Yeah. So this is a really I think I've shared this a little bit with Diana, um, my coworker, and some of it actually has to do with culture, which is a really weird thing to say, but I grew up in a home where 
my father is African-American, and that wasn't something that you did. You didn't talk to people about what was going on in your home. Mm -hmm. You didn't talk to people about what was happening with you. Like, things were kept in the family. And um, and so there was some of that. And so, like, well, maybe I shouldn't be talking to somebody. And then the bigger thing was, you know, what if it was really my fault <laughs> and maybe not wanting to own that at that point. And then some of it was, you know, what if they tell me that like, I'm crazy <laughs> and I am. Mm-hmm. So just let's put that to bed. And so I've embraced that part of it, but yeah, I think it was just a combination of several things, but yeah, that was certainly probably the biggest chunk was, you know, we don't we don't reach out to people. We don't let other people know what's going on. And I think that's something that a lot of people don't necessarily know, but it it does tend to keep people in certain cultures feel like they're held back from access to some of those things because you're not supposed to Um, And so it's just learning to grow beyond your home, learning to grow beyond your environment and how you were raised. And, and it's been awesome and wonderful. And I'm so glad that I did. Mm. Thank you for sharing that. I think um, there's so many times that messages or preconceived notions, even within ourselves or our families of origin really play into that. But then even extrapolating that to a larger cultural sense is so interesting when we look at access to mental and emotional health. So Thanks for sharing that. Um, I had a pretty sketchy childhood, mm. and it was, it's the story could be like 17 Dr. Phil episodes, I swear, but not as bad as some people, but still it really affected me. And when I was 18, I moved out of my biological father's house in with my mother, mm. and everything was fine for about a week. And then something very small happened and I exploded in anger and she was like, wow, this is not normal. I don't think this is normal. And it was normal for me for 18 years. Yeah. So she said, you know, I'll, I'll pay for you to go see a therapist. And I found one that I did not like. And then another one that I loved and I got really lucky with her. Mm. So she and my mom, I guess, kind of started my journey into mental health. And I thought at that point that I wanted to do something with music that I would be, you know, a professional singer or something. Whatever you think when you're 18. Yes. Wild dreams. Right. And then I I started to think a couple years into therapy, man, I could really, I could be a therapist. I could Mm. totally do this. And then a couple more years after that, well, maybe a year after that, I thought, ooh, I can't do this. (laughs) I should not do this. But I still wanted to help people in some way. And I've always loved horses and animals. Um, So my goal here is to become a certified equine therapist so that I can actually do that instead of um, what I'm doing now, which I love what I'm doing now. And I can probably do this and that part time. But that's that's the main goal. So my mom really pushed me to kind of focus on my mental health and to find a new normal Mm. because exploding when I couldn't find a pen that worked was just not normal. (laughs) What I love from that is that we often say it on site, if it's hysterical, it's historical, mm-hmm. but so often like, this is just my normal. This is what I'm functioning in and this is what makes sense. And right. uh, I love that she called that out on you and kind of recognized that, but then also you leaning and choosing to lean in and keep doing it even when you didn't find a therapist at first that you liked. Mm-hmm. I think that's something that I've noticed in my story of like, okay, well, you you bolster up enough to go to therapy or lean into this or talk to someone and then all of a sudden, you're like, this didn't work out, and so I'm just going to write the whole thing off. And so 
Right. What made you decide to, okay, I'm going to lean in again and try to find someone that would be a good fit? I guess I realized that I didn't like being angry all the time because hmm. I had lived in that for so long that it felt kind of normal and I was in an environment where that was really normal. Yeah. And when I moved in with my mom and at the time my stepfather, mm-hmm. they were just so calm all the time and I was really uncomfortable in yeah. it. And I wanted to learn how to be comfortable in that environment because I knew I was entering the professional world as well. Mm-hmm. And I just couldn't operate that way anymore. Yeah. Yeah. A big catalyst, a severe crisis in my own life in my mid twenties uh, when I hit the wall and it was a really a question and not even so much a question, but a choice between life or death with different things I was involved with in a very unhealthy life and needed to de- decide, was I going to continue on that road or change? And that forced me into looking at why I was doing what I was doing and how I was uh, operating in my life and how if I wanted to go forward, I needed to do things differently. And so how did that, like your own personal journey, reflect you then getting into mental, the mental health space and mental health work? And It, it really, it really forced me through my own recovery process to surround myself with people who were on similar missions and then to realize my business background could be beneficial in the behavioral health world. So those two things combined was a natural fit for me. And and not so much as me doing service work, reaching out to people who are still suffering to make money at it, but it was something that fit like a glove. Um, I'm not afraid or ashamed to share my own journey and my own struggles and uh, with others and bring my professional uh, skills to the table so we can continue to do that for people who are who are in need. Yeah. And I think um, you have just been such a great asset to our team since coming here and bringing all of your experience and also helping us, I think, make connections that we have been there, but just haven't had the bridge. And so your business expertise and also your history in behavioral health has been so gratefully accepted here. Another question, I believe, and I think you would probably agree here at Onsite, we believe that mental health is really a lifelong journey. It's something you commit to. It's not a one-and-done activity. What's something you're currently learning about your mental health? Exactly that, that it is a lifelong journey. Um, You know, I went through a a period of, like I talked about, difficulty in my mid-20s, addressed a number of issues, did what was I was told to do, got into therapy, did treatment, got involved in support groups, and, and changed my life. And as a result of that, really had a lot of fantastic things happen in my life that I never thought would happen. Well, then I got comfortable and started to get away from those practices that kept me stable, uh, kept me, you know, functioning and, and, and mentally well. And it's just a matter of time till I get back into that self-destructive thought pattern. And that's where it starts for me. The negative messages about self, you're not good enough, you never will be good enough, and comparing myself to others. And then that just starts the cycle. So, you know, during COVID, I got slapped pretty hard in the face with, hey, you need to get back in, into doing your practices yeah. um, that have kept you sane and stable. And so I did that. Um, and it, it wasn't comfortable. It wasn't easy. But it opened so many doors again. And, and I'm extremely grateful that I didn't get too far off track and caused irreparable harm to my, myself, my relationships. And, and so it is a lifelong process. It's never mm. done. And yeah. it's how much I want to step into it. And it really, I'm powerless over a lot of things, but I'm not powerless over showing up and saying, hey, I need yeah. help. I can't do this. 
by myself. One of the fun things about this podcast that we did was we realized how much when we talk about our mental health, there's so many things that are tied to it. Our relational health is tied to it. Our spiritual health is tied to it. Our physical health is tied to it. And our emotional health is tied to it. And so we created sort of a worksheet, which we hope will just be a resource for you to start processing what areas are you thriving and what areas are you feeling stuck. And then even evaluating the connection between your mental health in those areas. So say I am in a season where I'm terrible about working out. Is that impacting me and how I am viewing myself in the world and the state of my mental health? And so cool resource for you to take home and spend some time with, but also fun to hear all of our team members talk through the connections that they observed by doing this worksheet. Yeah, I think as I was thinking through it in some of the conversations we got, I was just imagining like a square. And sometimes when one line or one point of the square gets off, it really does impact the whole overall shape. And so, yeah, it just was an encouragement for me to really lean into the practices that I know that take care of myself holistically and not just get off balance with one particular area. We have more control than we realize you start to see, you know, like there are definitely things that we can do that can shift the lever and change how we're viewing ourselves in the world. Uh, So if you want to download that resource, make sure you check out the show notes today. For me, it's relational. It's very relational. Um, I notice when I, you know, I'm just one of those people who get energy from being around groups of people. No one has to talk to me. And I'm like, this is great. I feel so energized. And on the flip side of that, when those connections seem broken or distant is when I find myself feeling the most anxious or the most lost. Mm -hmm. So for me, because I am so connected energetically to people and humans, that's the one that impacts me the most. I can see that. Yeah. (laughs) Even working from home, it's like the craziest thing. I know lots of people love it and they do great with it. And I'm like... (sighs) But I'm missing all the humans. (laughs) I think spiritual for me. Um, If I can find my grounding and center in my quiet and prayer time, it really does. Even when I get knocked knocked off my center during the day, I have that foundation um, because it's going to happen. The idea is not that it won't happen. It's when it happens. And when it happens, yeah, if I definitely. have that foundation of the prayer and quiet in, in scripture, then I know I know where my roots are, right? And so I can, I fall, but it's a little softer. Hmm. I love that. Probably relational health. Yeah. Honestly, for me, it's, you know, my... Um, intimate relationships and my familial relationships have formed a lot of my attachment issues. Mm. And, you know, part of it is the bipolar disorder, but I think a huge majority of it is just the relationships that I was able to and was not able to form when I was younger. And I, I think that's true for a lot of people. I didn't realize it until a few years ago, but I, you know, my attachment style to people has a lot to do with my mental health in the moment and my mental health long run. So that's one of the things I've actually been working on in therapy lately is how to separate my mental health from the health of my relationships. Mm. So that one definitely huge impact. So Oren, I was wondering if you would be willing to do sort of like just a quick meditation 
I know that you're passionate about the practice of meditation. Just to kind of close this everybody out and just sort of give them space for yeah. sort of uh, being aware of their mental health. I'll do that. Do a little three-minute meditation. Perfect. So if you're like me, you're probably driving in a car right now listening to this. It's usually where I take a podcast in. But if you are at home or somewhere alone or just safe, you can feel free to close your eyes during this. If you're driving, I still encourage you to do this meditation because I think mindfulness is a beautiful thing to like do in small doses throughout the day. And so the first thing is just become aware of your body, some sensation of your body. So for me, I'm standing right now. So I'm feeling my feet pressed against the tile in my basement. You might feel your hands on the steering wheel. Maybe you can feel a garment of your clothing kind of on your body and just become aware of it. And it's okay if you wander in your thinking during this. Try to not judge anything or any thoughts that come up. Just give yourself grace and space to not judge, which is a beautiful thing to enter into when you're meditating. Next, kind of focus on your breath. Find your breath. Often people feel it first in their nose or passing down through their throat, or maybe you feel kind of the rise and fall of your shoulders as you take a deep breath in. Notice what sensations you feel as you let the air go out. Take a few more breaths and try to slow them down. Taking some of your deepest, slowest inhales and exhales of the day so far. We'll end with leaning on our intuition. So imagine that you are opening up a cookie that you might get with a little message inside, but you're gonna be the one to give the message to yourself. It's one of the things I love about onsite is we partner with people and kind of walk alongside them. It's not a directional thing. So a message that you need to hear today and you're gonna give it to yourself. Could be something really simple. Just a encouragement, a thought, a reminder. 
from you to you. All right. You can kind of move whatever part of your body feels tense or tight, stretch a little bit. Thanks for sharing that moment. You don't have to feel alone and overwhelmed. We deeply encourage you to ask for help. And if we can support you in connecting the dots with one of our programs or other offerings, our admissions team would love to connect with you. Simply call 1-800-341-7432 or visit onsiteworkshops.com.